Amen, amen. Well, this week we're going to continue our series uh, called Under Pressure. And I don't know if you caught it from uh, just that passage that Jan read for us, but Elijah at this point was under a lot of pressure, under a lot of pressure. And you know what? Sometimes I think it's not fair what we do to people in Scripture because if I was to pick any other passage in the Bible about Elijah to preach to you today, to preach to you from today, you would think Elijah was just a rock solid dude, a man of God. But today we pick the passage where Elijah's saying, I'm done, I'm throwing in the towel. I don't think I could do this. And, and, and you know what? I think we all have chapters like that in our lives. And you know what? That's not our favorite chapter, but you know what else? Those chapters don't have to define the rest of our life. And we're going to talk about that today as we continue our series. So, but before we get into this passage that we read today, um, I got to give you a little backstory. So, last week uh, we talked about David. You remember David and, and how he continued seeking God, right? He was trying to hear the voice of God. He continued seeking God and he continued obeying God even when it was difficult. And because of that, um, God made him king in the right time. And, and, and things under David, there, was, there were a couple of bad spots, but things were good. And then his son Solomon reigned. And when Solomon reigned, things were good in the kingdom. Okay, the kingdom was expanding. It was growing in wealth. It was, uh, the people were serving the Lord for the most part. Things were moving in the right direction. But after Solomon, things got bad. Okay, and so if you've ever read through the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, it gets, it gets a little crazy because you just begin reading about this king and that king and this king and that king. And what happened was, uh, after Solomon, um, his son came up and his son made a pretty poor decision and the kingdom was split. Okay? So you had Judah and, a, and another tribe and then you had the other ten tribes that made up Israel. So you had Israel and Judah. So now we're going to be talking about Israel. Okay? So David's line continued ruling Judah. But a new line of kings began reigning over Israel. And I, if you've ever read through it, I, I, you, this will be no surprise to you. But, man, it seemed like every king Israel got was worse than the last. And, and so they had king after king after king, and none of them served God fully. I mean, each of them was kind of doing their own thing. But then there came a certain king that the Scripture says was worse than them all. His name was Ahab. Let's read this passage together here. It says, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than all the kings of Israel did before him. Now, why do I read you this passage? Because this is the passage that directly precedes Elijah showing up on the scene, okay? We've never even heard the name of Elijah, but we hear about this king Ahab, and here's what happened, okay? If this was America, they would have set up these temples to these false gods. It would have been like in Washington, D.C. That's what they did. They took it to the capital. They're serving Baal. They're serving Asherah. And I want you to know, not only is it sinful to serve these false gods, 
but the way that they served them was sinful. It, it involved sexual immorality. It involved doing some things that are totally against God's law. And, and this is the track that the king and his wife, Jezebel, set the nation on. Okay, so here's what happens. Chapter 17 of 1 Kings comes, and then Elijah just shows up. And here's what he says. This is the first time we hear of him. He says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain um, these years except by my word. He goes up to Ahab and he says that, and that's exactly what happened. So Elijah shows up. He's a prophet of God, and he says, There's going to be a drought. It's not going to rain again, and it didn't for three years. And during that time, I just want to give you a picture just of, of, the, of the kingdom of Israel at that time. It was very hard, one, for everybody because there was a drought. Uh, and it was, it was hard for everybody, but it was very hard for those who were serving the Lord. Many of, many of the prophets of the Lord, those who were true to God, many of them were killed. Uh, many of them had to be hidden in caves. And what was easier in that time, right, was if you believed in the Lord, the one true God, the easiest thing to do would just be quiet about it, okay? If you believed him, just don't say anything about it. And in fact, we, we hear about one, one man who did just that, who hid these prophets, but he still worked with the king. He didn't talk about it. He didn't talk about those prophets that he had. It, was, it, it, it would have meant his life most likely if he had talked about his faith and love for God. So um, this is what was going on in his time, and I want to relate it a little bit to to our time um, because I think in a lot of ways it's easier for us to have a faith and just be quiet about it today. It's it's one of those things where it's, it's okay to believe in Christ, but hey, it's just don't bring him up too much, right? I mean, if you bring him up too much, it can, it can make people uncomfortable. It can make you uncomfortable. It can change things at work a little bit. So the easiest thing to do is, is to go to church and to um, do those things and have your private time and talk about God with other Christians, but not others around us. And that's a temptation that we all face. And, and, and I just wanted to stop it just as a side note and say that's exactly the situation they were in. I want you to think about the courage Elijah had. Okay, when everyone else is being silent, Elijah was not silent. Okay, and, and, and the way that the nation got to be where they were is really similar to the way that America got to be here. Okay, I'm not saying America was perfect, but neither was Israel. But this is how people walk away from God. This is how nations walk away from God. This is how families walk away from God. It's normally not just jumping off a cliff. It's one compromise at a time. Until those things become so ingrained, they're built in the capital, right? And then if you say anything against it, you're in the wrong. And you know what? As Christians, we have to be willing to take a step of faith, okay, sometimes. And we have to be willing to share our faith. I hope we can learn something from Elijah early on where instead of being quiet, he was obedient to God and went to the king. Okay? So Elijah, like I said, the passage we read made him look kind of like a wimp, but Elijah was strong. He had a backbone. He went right to the king. So, like I said, he he went to the king and said, it's not going to rain. It didn't rain for three whole years. And then Elijah shows up again and he says, hey, the rain's going to come. I want want you to meet me on Mount Carmel and I want you to bring all the prophets of these false gods. So the prophets you have that serve Baal, bring them. The prophets you have that serve Asherah, bring them. So there was 450 prophets of Baal. It doesn't say that the ones for Asherah came. But they all met on this mountain, Mount Carmel. And when they got up on this mountain, um, Elijah said, let's do a little test. 
Let's just do a little test. I'm going to build a sacrifice like we normally offer to God, and you build the sacrifice like, we normally off, like you normally would offer to Baal. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray, and we're not going to light these sacrifices on fire. Okay? We're just going to pray, and the God who answers by fire, that's the real God. And they, they agreed, they agreed. So remember, 450 against one, and he lets them go first. He lets them get all set up, and they, they set this thing up, and they cry out all day. They cry out all day, and their God does not answer. They continue crying out. He doesn't answer. They're cutting themselves. They're doing anything they can to stir their God, uh, to, to come and answer, and he does not answer. So then what does Elijah do? And I love this, too, and this is just a side note. But he doesn't build a new altar. He goes and repairs, repairs a broken altar that was, that was used to offer sacrifices to the Lord in days past. He rebuilds that, and he puts his sacrifice on there. And, and then he says to his men, he says, you know what? Let's not just build this thing. Drench it in water. So they bring three great loads of water, and they... they drench it and and it's just totally soaked he's given himself every disadvantage but then he prayed and the fire came down right the fire came down and it it didn't just take the sacrifice but it licked up everything around it all the water was gone and what a great triumph that had just happened and then after that, he went and told Ahab, it's going to rain, head back. And so Ahab heads back, and, and, and Elijah prays, and this rain comes pouring down. Okay, all these, and I want to tell you too, there were a lot of spectators on that mountain. And after God answered by fire, they finally admitted, they said, okay, the Lord, he is God. Okay, the Lord saying, basically saying, Yahweh, the God of our fathers, he's the real God. And they went, and they, and they actually took these prophets to Baal who'd been leading them to stray and they put them to death. And so, I mean, you can imagine that Elijah is pretty excited. I mean, the things he's been waiting on, the things he's been praying for, he's beginning to see. He's beginning to see God do immeasurably more than he could have asked or imagined, okay? He'd been waiting for three years for this day. And I want you to know, when he prayed on that mountain, he didn't just pray for the fire. Listen to this prayer. I love this. In 1 Kings 18, 37, he said, Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. So, I want you to get this with me. Elijah went to this mountain expecting revival. I really believe that. He went to this mountain expecting that after Mount Carmel, things will never be the same. I mean, God's going to answer by fire. God's going to bring the rain. God's going to reveal himself, and everything's going to change. And I think we've all had times in our life when we get excited about something and we just, we believe we can see what God is going to do. I mean, I think if, if Elijah was anything like me, probably what he was envisioning in his mind after this is Ahab's going to get back and he's going to say, you know what? I saw it today. The Lord really is God. Let's tear down the altars to Baal. Let's tear down the Asherah pole. You know what? We're going to bring Elijah back. Elijah is going to be a prophet here. He, he's going to speak to us about what the Lord wants. This is going to be the day that the Lord has turned our hearts back to him. I mean, I, I really do believe that this is what Elijah was hoping for and praying for. And he had his expectations for it. He was hoping for revival. 
But then shortly thereafter, he gets a message, and it goes from revival. I'm, I'm expecting revival. Now I'm fighting for survival. He had these high expectations. The people are going to turn back to God. That's, that's really not what happened. Ahab went back, and, and he told Jezebel, and Jezebel was so upset, she sent a messenger to him saying, listen, may the gods do to me what you did to, what you did to my prophets if you aren't dead by tomorrow. I'm going to kill you. And so you can imagine that he was just, I mean, he had his expectations so high, and they were crushed. And you know what? I think that's happened in our own lives too sometimes. We've had times when our expectations were really high, and when, when God doesn't meet them the way that we think he's going to meet them, I mean, we can just be crushed. See, Mount Carmel, I want you to think about this with me. I want you to think about our walk with Jesus as a journey. And, and in our journey with Jesus, as we walk with him day by day, I think we have some Mount Carmel some mountaintop experiences where God really does answer by fire. When God really does, we pray, and it's like things change immediately. I, mean, I can remember some times in my own life where God, I mean, I would say God answered by fire. God showed up. I remember Alyssa and myself getting a bill that we didn't know how we were going to pay, and, and, and we just trusted God, and then, boom, we got a check in the mail, unexpected. Just someone in the church said, hey, God put you on my heart. Here you go. And, wow, God, I mean, God answered by fire. God showed up. I remember when I first came to Christ and I prayed about some things in my life that I'd been struggling with, some things I couldn't overcome, some addictions. I said, I don't know how I'm going to do this, God. And God answered by fire, by radically changing some things. He did that. And, and I praise God for that. And I, I hope you've had some times like that in your life, some mountaintop experiences where God answers immediately. God answers by fire. But if you've been walking with God... I don't have to tell you that not everything you pray about is that way, do I? We have things that we pray about that it's not always an immediate answer. By fire, God changes it exactly the way I want it to be. Our life with God, is, it really is a journey. And there are some mountaintop experiences, but there are some times that, that are not that way. I want to show you a picture real quick. I love this picture. Um, it's just, I, it's one I just found, but I feel like it, it lays out a lot of our journey so well. Um, it's a picture taken from a mountaintop, you can see, and it's looking out. And, and what I love about this picture is when, when you're looking out, you can see a lot of the other peaks along the way. You can see a lot of, a lot of what the, the places, if you were going to journey that direction, you can see a glimpse of a lot of the places you'll go. And I believe that that's what some of these mountaintop experiences are like in our spiritual life. You have a time away with God and he speaks with you and you're just so full. And maybe it's when you first give your life to Christ, you begin to get a glimpse of the man or woman that God's calling you to be. I mean, you have times when God speaks to you and maybe even gives you a little bit of a vision of, of Travis, this is what I have for you. This is, who, this is where I'm calling you. And you get a glimpse and you can see some of the peaks. I, I mean, it, it can happen with more than just ministry. It can happen with your family. Like, like, Travis, this is what I have for you. This is, I've got these kids and you're going to raise them up to know me. And you can see these peaks. Man, won't it be so great just having kids that love the Lord? And won't it be so great all the places God's going to take me? It can be with work. Like, God, I'm going to serve you with my work. I'm going to serve you with this business. And you can see God saying, Travis, if you keep following me, it, it looks so good. There's some peaks along the way. It's going to be really good. 
But what I also love about this picture is the truth that it shows us in that while you can see some of the peaks and that gets you excited for what God can do, you can't really see all the valleys in there, can you? And while we see the peak, like that's where I'm going, the only way to get to there is to go through some of those valleys on the way. And so I believe the mountaintop experiences are in our life are for God to give us a glimpse of who he is, that he really can do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. I, I believe that for, it's for us to, to get a little bit of a vision of where he's calling us and, and of all he's capable of doing and to build our faith in him and to just know he's able. But there's going to be valleys on the way. And if you haven't heard this phrase before, I didn't come up with it. I, I ran, a past it as I, ran across it as I was studying, but I thought that is the, one of the truest things I've ever heard. Here's what it says. The best views come from the mountaintop, but the fruit grows in the valley. And that's what happens in our life a lot of the time. We get a picture of where God's taking us, but the only way to get there is through the valley. And we find as we go through those difficult times in life that that's when God can really shape our character. And God can really begin to create fruit in us and through us because the next peak only comes through the next valley. And so as we walk with God, we have to remember that. Um, so I believe, if we're still on this picture, I believe that what Elijah was seeing and believing, the vision he had, was the people turning back to God. Right? We talked about that. Was Ahab turning back to God, repenting. And, and you know what? There were some people who turned back to God. In fact, later on, we'll hear about it more next week, God tells Elijah all that he's been doing during this time. Elijah doesn't see it yet, though. And you know what is even crazier? Ahab does repent. Now, it doesn't happen in the time frame that Elijah wants, but way down the line, Ahab does repent, and I have no doubt in my mind that part of that comes back to when God answered by fire on the Mount Carmel. But you know what? In the valley... You can't see it. And so he gets this threat, and while he, he had these great visions, here he goes, he takes the next step, and he's going down, and he's been crushed by what he faced. And you know what? As we talk about these expectations and, and um, how they can really lead us to discouragement, I thought of a story of, of with my nephew that I want to share with you. So I think it was last Christmas, not this year, but the year before, uh, we went down to my brother's house, and my nephew was there, and, uh, you know, grandparents always give you some of the best gifts, right, grandparents? I mean, you always give your grandkids some of the best gifts. So I could tell Caleb, my nephew, was pretty excited when he was about to get a gift from uh, Papa and Nana, you know? And so he's getting pretty excited, and he's, he, he's going, he's looking for the gifts, and they go, here, this is from Papa and Nana. And it's a really long, slender thing wrapped up, really long. And he's just like, what in the world could that be? And uh, he opens it up, he unwraps it, and it's a stick. It, I mean, it's a nice stick, but it's, it's a stick. I mean, it's just a piece of wood, a long piece of wood. And, and my mom and dad, uh, his nana and papa, they say, Caleb, we remember when you were little, uh, you used to love sticks. So we thought we'd get you a really nice stick. Well, that was when Caleb was three or four. Caleb's like nine or ten at this point. And he's like, you could tell he's trying to hide the fact that he's just a little bit disappointed. Right? He's going, wow, thanks, Nana, Papa. 
And so they said, but we got you more. Don't worry, we got you more. And so he gets his next gift, okay? And, uh, and it's in a bag, this one is. And so he's got to be thinking, okay, maybe the stick thing, they just missed it. Because they always do a good job. And he opens up the next thing. Hairspray. Hairspray. And... Uh, and, you know, mom and dad said something along the lines of, you know, you got to do your hair now. You're getting older. This will help. You know, your hair look nice, and, and you never know when you might need it. And he's just looking at this hairspray. Like, okay, mom, or nana, papa, thanks. And you could see it in his face. But he won't say that he's disappointed. And then they say, we got, well, we got one more present for you. And so this one's in a bag, too. They bring it over to him. It's kind of heavy. Okay, this one's a little heavier. Maybe a little excitement is building. And he opens it up. Bag of potatoes. Does anybody know what he got yet? Can anybody, has anybody figured it out yet? Okay, we got a couple of people. So Caleb is lost. Stick, hairspray, potatoes. And you can see in his face that he's disappointed. That he's discouraged because you always have high expectations for Nana and Papa's gift. Okay? You always have high expectations. In fact, we have to tell them to hold off a little bit. Like, Jeremiah's got enough stuff. Hold it back. Because Nana and Papa, they just want to give everything to their grandkids. But here he is with a stick, hairspray, and potatoes. And then finally, they brought in the real gift. Can we get a picture up there? The potato gun. Okay? And, and honestly, his is almost that big. That's not a picture of him. But he was so excited. And finally, all the things that he'd been given made sense. And, you know, he was really discouraged along the way. What am I going to do with a stick? What am I going to do with potatoes? What am I going to do with hairspray? Well, for those of you who don't know how it works, you, you need potatoes to load the gun. You shove them down there with a stick. You take hairspray, you spray it in the back, screw it on. You've got a little igniter button, and when you push the igniter, the hairspray bursts into flame, and the potato goes flying out the back, and, and flames come out the end of this thing, and he's just holding it like this, like, yes, you know, firing his potato gun. He was so excited. He finally reached the peak, but along the way, right, he thought, I don't see how this could be a good Christmas gift from Nana and Papa. And you know what? In our lives, that's what happens too. You know, God puts things in our life and we go through things and we seem like, God, this is not what I want. This is not what I need. Don't, don't you have something better for me than this? Is this all that there is? And, and Elijah, he had high expectations and it's like all he got, I mean, all he got was death threats. That's worse than potatoes. I mean, he got nothing, and yet it brought him to a point where we've all been, when our hopes and expectations were here, our reality was here, and that almost always leads to discour discouragement, doesn't it? I mean, man, God, I just hoped that things were going to get better this time. I just hoped that you were going to work things out this time, and, and yet you didn't, and it leads to this discouragement and uh, listen, let's jump back into the passage now that Jan read. Um, so he's got the death threats, and listen to how he responds. First Kings uh, 19, uh, verse 4b. It says, he came to a broom bush, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. 
I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Now, let's contrast that with the prayer that we just heard earlier, right? When he said, Lord, Lord, uh, let's show yourself. Answer me because today is the day you're turning everyone's hearts back. That's a prayer with expectation. This is a prayer with discouragement. And you know what? Both are acceptable to God. You can pray with discouragement. I love that he, Elijah doesn't hold back. He just tells God how he's feeling. He goes, he lays down under this bush, and he doesn't understand. And, and can we admit we don't always understand what God is doing? I mean, he's got to be thinking, what was the point of the drought? What was the point of, of the fire? What was the point of the rain? What was the point of, of everything you've been doing up to this point? If, if the people didn't change. If Ahab didn't change, if the situation's still the same as it was before, what was the point? He was disillusioned. He was ready to give up. And he reached a point we've all reached. And here, here's, here it is. He realized that the journey was too much for him. And I'm not just, those aren't my words. That's exactly what the angel of the Lord said to him in the wilderness. He said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And I don't know where you are today, you may be at a spot in your journey where that is very real. And the journey I'm on in this life, the journey I'm on with Christ, the journey I'm on in my marriage, all these journeys I'm on, I'm at a point right now where it's too much for me. Maybe you're there. If you're not there, I'm going to tell you, it can happen to you. It, will, it probably will happen to you. I mean, who was closer to God than Elijah. Who was closer to God than Elijah, and yet he reached the point where the journey was too much for him. And so he's, he's in a valley moment, and a few things can happen in these valley moments. We're going to talk about the good things that God can do in those times, but I'll tell you, there are some things that can happen in the valley that aren't good. Because sometimes in the valley, we're tempted to give up on God, sure, but I think more often than what, than what not, what we're tempted to give up on isn't necessarily God but it's whatever has brought us this discouragement. Sometimes that is God, but a lot of times it's not. A lot of times we face situations, and let's be honest, none of us like feeling discouragement. And you can only be discouraged about something that you give yourself to. Like if you don't care about something, if you don't give yourself to changing something or doing something or, or working in something, you can't be discouraged. But when you give yourself to something and you invest in it and you pour into it and it doesn't pan out and discouragement sets in, then it's real. Then you really sense it. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, while I think all of us in this room are discouraged when, um, you know, when we have a young person who walks away from the Lord, I think we're all discouraged by that. Do you think any of our discouragement reaches the point of that person's father or mother? They've poured everything into that child. Now, we're all discouraged because we've poured some things into that child. We've prayed for them. We've cared for them. Someone in the world may not care at all because they've poured nothing into that child. That's just an example of what you give to can discourage you. you if you start a business and it fails, you're going to sense that discouragement. Your family will sense it because they supported you. Those who love you will sense it because, you know, they care about you. Those in the, in the world who maybe like the business you started, that'll discourage them. But to those who had no, no really nothing to do with this business venture, they won't be discouraged at all. 
And I bring that up because here's what I'm afraid happens when we get discouraged in the valley. I don't think we always give up on God, but I think a lot of times we give up on some things that God wants us to pursue. It's not like we're saying, God, I'm not, I'm not going to live for you anymore, but you know what? Sometimes we reach a discouraging point in our marriage where we say, you know what? I'd rather just give this up than keep going. Sometimes we pray for people, and when we get discouraged, it's easier for us to just stop praying because, man, I, every time I pray, it's like I, nothing's happening. We get discouraged, and we give up. I mean, maybe, maybe God put on your heart to, you know what? to reach out and make, you know, reach out and try and share the gospel with people at your work. And you took some steps and it failed. Like maybe people started looking at you different or treated you differently. So the easiest thing to do is to take a few steps back and hear this, and let discouragement determine our direction. We can't do that. That's exactly what's happened to Elijah here. He got discouraged and God never told him to flee. Can we point that out? God never told him to flee. God never told him to run away. But his discouragement and these shattered expectations have led him to changing his direction. I mean, can you imagine this is following his best day of ministry? But it didn't work out the way that he thought it would. And so now here he is, and he's ready to give up. He's ready to give up. He's done. Um, and like I said, if it happened to Elijah... It, it can happen to us. And what we can do is even though God's asked us to keep praying, we can stop. Even though God says these things are important, we can give up on them because of discouragement. He was ready to throw in the towel. Remember what he says. He prayed that he might die. Right? He said, I've had enough. He said, I'm no better than the people who came before me. I'm no better than my ancestors. Ever felt that way? One of those? All of those? I've had enough. I've poured everything into this, God. I've had enough. You know what? I thought I could come into this and make a difference. Whatever it is, insert your situation. I thought I could step into this situation, and if I just did things right, I'd make a difference. But you know what I found out? I'm no better than the people who came before me. I thought God was calling me to do something, but here I am. And remember, Elijah was a prophet. He wasn't the first prophet. There had been other prophets sent to Israel. Elijah thought he was going to make a difference, but here he was discouraged. He said, I'm no better than them, God. Take my life. I can't do it. And you know what? I'm going to share something with you today. I don't think, I really don't think that God was upset that Elijah reached this point. I don't think it. You know why? Because I actually believe that these points are pivotal, pivotal points for our walk with God. They are. They, they are pivotal. I mean, everything can hinge on what happens in these moments. See, the reality is the journey wasn't just too much for him. The journey is going to be too much for all of us. How we respond to that will determine what happens in the valley. It will determine where we go with God because I believe God wants us to realize the journey is too much for you so that that way we'll turn it back to him. See, I want to talk to you about two things that happened in this valley 
but God will not abandon you. That's the first point, and I want to stop here for just a moment because sometimes I think maybe we have a view of God that's not really what he's like. I think sometimes we think that if we get discouraged, that God is then just going to immediately just be upset with us. Like he's so temperamental, like he's, you know, like he's just waiting for us to make a mistake. I think sometimes we think like that. Like, man, I'm discouraged. God must be discouraged with me. God must be upset with me. I failed. I, I can't do this. And so we start putting those feelings on God, saying that's how God feels about me because I failed. But you know what? That is not what God is like. And I want you to see what he does here, okay? I mean, this is a prayer that he prays. It's, it's a pretty depressing prayer. That's the prayer he offers up to God in this moment of discouragement. But how does God answer? Look at it. So he came to the broom brush, sat down it, under it, and he prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Then he said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Right there where he prays the world's most depressing prayer, the world's most discouraged prayer, the world's most hopeless prayer. There's not a glimmer of hope in that prayer, but at least it was sincere. He prays it to God, and you know what? God actually comes to him. Rather than being upset, rather than saying, I can't believe you've quit, and listen, God's going to redirect him, but God actually comes to him. And I want to encourage you today, I don't know what your situation is, what that thing is that's bringing you discouragement, but can I just tell you right now, you don't have to filter your prayer to God. Like if everything's not great and you really are discouraged, why don't you just tell God that? If you're hurt and you're broken and you don't see how things could get better and you're ready to throw in the towel, God already knows you rephrasing your prayer so it sounds better doesn't change the fact that it's true and that God knows. So just tell him. Don't be afraid to just pour those things out before God. But when you take those things to God, be open to his response. Okay? Because God's got not, not going to let us wallow there for long. It's okay to be there. It's okay to be honest. And I feel like when we're not honest with God, we can just kind of delay some things. We need to just be honest, but know that God, he cares, he won't abandon you. He'll actually come to you in those moments. And you know what? I actually believe, while we love the mountaintops in our life, I love them, praise God. I actually believe that God is closer to us many times in the valley than he is on the mountain. And I don't just say that for my opinion. It's written right here in God's word in Psalm 34, 18. He says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He singles them out. He says, those of you who are brokenhearted, those of you who are crushed, that's who God is close to. And you know, as I was thinking about this picture of God being close to those brokenhearted, I was, I was reminded of something that took place in my youth ministry a few years ago at the last church I was at that I thought, wow, that is a picture of God, maybe greater so than many I've seen. Let me, let me just show you here. I'm actually, I'm gonna get this stool. So we had a girl um, in our youth group who, um, you know, as far as we could tell, she was serving the Lord. She loved the Lord. And, uh, and she, she did, but she, she was on our worship team in the youth band. We had a youth band, and she made a bad decision. 
And uh, she was 16 years old. She had sex outside of marriage. She got pregnant. And um, she, you know, I, when I found out, Alyssa and I went over and we talked with the family and we prayed with her. And she said, you know, she, all the right things, right? All the things, I know it was wrong. I'm not going to do it again. I've asked God to forgive me. Um, you know, I, I, I know that God's going to love this child. You know, and I, and I just want to take some steps forward. I want to I serve God. I want to do it right. And I mean, we're there. We're encouraging her. We're, we prayed with her. And I, and I talked to her. I said, well, you know, how do you want to handle this with the youth group? And, and, uh, and she, you know, she said, I was like, do you want me to share? Do you want to share? She said, I, I want to share it. I want to share it. Um, because, I mean, it was getting to the point where she was going to be showing, let's, let's just get it out. Let's not have people gossip. Let's talk about it. And so she came, and she just kind of shared. And as soon as she started sharing, you know, tears started filling her eyes. And uh, there was a girl there in the front row. Her name's Robin. Um, Robin has Down syndrome. Robin has the spirit of Jesus in her like you would not believe. And Robin's sitting there in the front row. And uh, there's this girl sharing her testimony. And the tears are starting to fall. And Robin just leans, she just gets as close to the edge of the seat as she can, like this. And for the final about two or three minutes of this girl's testimony that she's sharing about everything that's happening, Robin's just sitting there like this. She just wanted to go hug her. She just wanted to be close to her. And as she's finishing, she's just reaching out. She knows she can't get up yet, right? Because she's still talking. So she's just reaching forward. She was as close to her as she could be. And as soon as she finished sharing, Robin just went up and gave her the biggest hug. You know what? I thought that's exactly what God is like in discouragement and in the valley. He's reaching out. You know, if you're discouraged, it's not like God doesn't care, right? He sees every tear. He knows every hair on your head. He's reaching out. He cares. He will never, ever abandon you. It's not even his vocabulary. So in those times you're discouraged, don't blame God. Turn to God. Turn to his embrace. Pray the prayer. Just tell him how it is, but know that he's reaching out. He's near to those who are brokenhearted. But not only will he not abandon you, and not only will he reach out, he'll give you strength. He'll give you strength. Now I know I know when we pray those kind of prayers in the valley, let's be honest, we want God to change our situation. That's what we want. That's what Elijah wanted. Elijah wanted God to change his situation, but you know what? Sometimes God does change the situation, but a lot of times he just gives us strength. Listen to this passage here from 1 Kings 19, 7 and 8. It says, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And so here, in this picture, God met that physical need of strength. But God also will meet our spiritual need for strength. God will also meet our emotional need for strength. God wants us to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God will give you strength for all those areas. When you don't have it in your heart, God will help you in, when you turn to him. Uh, you've probably heard this passage before. Maybe you haven't, but it's in 2 Corinthians. And it talks about a time that Paul was going through a great trial. And three times he prayed, God, won't you just remove it? 
God, won't you remove it? (laughs) But listen to God's response in 2 Corinthians. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And I want you to hear what, what all is said in this short, short passage. So first thing he says is, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to sustain you. I've given you my grace. I, my, I'm going to carry you through this. So let's hear this for our situation. Whatever situation you're in, I'm praying with you that God would change some circumstances. And he very well may, but it may not be in the timing you like. And you know what? In that time, God is saying, my grace is enough. My grace is enough. But more than that, my power is actually going to be made perfect in this weakness. So not only am I able to sustain you, but there's going to be some things that happen through your weakness that actually make you stronger and allow my strength and power to flow through you. Because sometimes when things are great, we become self-sufficient. But when we're in the valley and we recognize the journey's too much for me, we have to cast ourselves totally on the God who without his strength, without his grace, we're not going to make it. And his power is made perfect in that because I'm not relying on my own anymore. And can you see how Paul turns this negative into a positive. Right here, that's what he says. He says, so I'm gonna boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest on me. Sometimes we just need to thank God for our weaknesses even though we don't like him and say, you know what, God, I don't want this. I'm praying you'll change it, but I thank you for something in my life that causes me to rely on you. I don't wanna get to the point where I think I've got everything down. I don't wanna get to the point where I think I've got the journey figured out. I want to rely on you. I want to trust you. And so I thought about adding something at the end here of this message. I did. I thought about adding that God renews our hope. But I didn't. And you know why? Because it's 40 days until Elijah got his hope renewed. I wanted to take this a little farther. Me and Pastor Brian talked about that a little bit and about maybe me just preaching a little further. Um, But then you know what? I thought, you know what? Here's the reality. God can renew your hope. We're gonna hear some about that next week. But the reality is sometimes there's a season when you have a bunch of things that you don't know how God's gonna work it out for good. And you know what? You come to a service and you hear about God can give you strength. And you know what? That's great because you need strength because the hope still hasn't come. You don't know. And I felt like that's where we needed to leave it today. That you know what? You've got some situations. God can answer by fire. Amen. Never lower your belief in God to your current reality. Don't ever lower what God can do and say, well, my reality says God can't do it. Don't do that. But I want you to recognize that we're going to face times in our life when here we are. I don't know how it's going to get better. I don't know when it's going to get better. I don't see what God's doing. Right? It's gonna, it, but God's just going to give me strength through it. God's going to give me grace through it. God's going to be near to me. And we don't have to pretend. Forty days he went. So wherever you are, if that's you, maybe that's the message you needed to hear today. That you know what? God will give you 
strength. Trust him. Pray about the big things. I'm going to have Pastor Nathan uh, come forward, and we're going to just share a song here in a moment. But I just wanted to share one one final thing with you. Um, As you go through these times of discouragement, it's okay to just tell God about them. But don't let, it, don't let it stop you from taking your next step with God. Don't let it hold you back. Don't let discouragement change your direction. I had, I had a moment, and probably one of my greatest discouragements in life up to this point, it happened at my last church where I was serving in the youth, and um, I'm passionate about youth knowing and loving Christ. I mean, that's what God's put on my heart, so I give myself to it fully, which, right, which means I'm open for discouragement there because I've got high expectations. And I had one boy, and uh, we'll just call him Jack, and Jack was, man, passionate about the Lord. Jack was growing. Jack was making a difference. When, when we would do youth-led services, I would have Jack speak, and, and uh, I, I'd get excited, and Jack would show up to church, would tell me about the verses he read and, and about how God was working in his life, and man, I was just excited about Jack all the time. Jack was awesome. And, and I mean, my expectations for him were high. I was discipling him. I was pouring into him on a regular basis. I mean, I would have special meetings with him. We'd pray. We'd get in, we'd get in books together. And uh, Jack was, was called to ministry, he shared with me at one point. And uh, I could see it before that, right? I just, I saw it coming. I, I didn't say it, but I saw it. And he kept going, he kept going, he kept going. And uh, he went away to college. And I was so excited for all the ways that God was working in Jack's life. And uh, Jack got away at college, and within a few months, things shifted, and he was out of college at semester, and, you know, his walk with the Lord started getting iffy and started, you know, he definitely lost his passion, he lost his drive, and it got to the point where I still am now, when I reach out to Jack, I never hear back. And that hurts. I poured into that. And there was another girl who, that same time, who was leading our worship team. She was passionate about the Lord, but I'm not going to go into details, but it was basically a similar story. And I was discouraged. You know, the enemy has a way of bringing up those things that don't work out. I wasn't thinking about the one serving the Lord. I was thinking about these two where everything changed. And I'll tell you that there were times that I thought about letting discouragement change my direction. Why am I doing this? Why am I pouring myself into this? What? (laughs) It's not working. Why would I keep doing this? And I know some of you feel that way too. Maybe about a relationship or marriage or friend or your walk with Christ. Maybe there's been some things you've been trying to change and you just can't. Why am I doing this? Maybe you tried to make a difference. Why am I doing this? I reached the valley. But God didn't abandon me. God gave me strength. And I had to live there for a while. But God renewed my hope. He showed me some new things he was doing. And so today, we're going to sing a song. It's real simple. Lord, I need you. I don't know where you are today, 
But I pray if you've got something like that going on right now in your life, that as we have a time to just respond, that you just come to the altar and pray. And I want to do something we've done before. These outer altars today, if you come and pray at one of those, no one's going to come and pray with you right next to you. We'll pray for you, but from a distance. Because I thought, maybe there's someone here who needs to just give God an unfiltered prayer. And maybe that'd be hard to do with someone right next to you. So if you want to pray and you don't want anyone to come pray with you, I'd ask you just to grab one of these outer altars. If you want to come pray and you'd like people to pray with you, come to these inner altars because um, there's nothing better you can do in the valley than just recognizing your need for the Lord and turning back to Him. I'm going to pray and then we'll sing. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. And Lord, I thank you that even in the valley, God, you're faithful, you're true, Lord, you give us strength, you renew us. God, you can do something, you can sustain us over something that we could not be sustained on our own. And so, Lord, I pray for each person in this room with the different areas in our lives where we're facing discouragement. Lord, that we would just come and lay them down before you. And Lord, we would just admit that the journey is too much for us. But with you, God, we know that we'll have your presence and your strength. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Won't you come now? Lord, I come. I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. And Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my is found is where you are and where you are Lord I am free holiness is Christ in me and Lord I
righteousness, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you, and my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need Jaron's going to come in just a second and give us our benediction. Bow your heads and just close your eyes for a second before we go this morning. There's a powerful image that we heard today. I can't get it out of my mind. It's this image, and I want you to think about this. I want you to picture Jesus right here in front of you this morning with his arms open wide. I want you to picture him as that girl on the stool that Travis talked about this morning. And I want you to picture him right in front of you with his arms open, just waiting to embrace you. And now I want you to think about him coming to you and wrapping his arms around you this morning and whispering in your ear, I love you. I care for you. You're my child. I value you. I'm here for you. I'm all you need. I'm all you need. I have to remind you today that regardless of what you're facing, Jesus Christ loves you. May we never let that image fade from our minds. May we feel his embrace throughout this week, and may he be with us this morning. Amen. I said it earlier, but I'll say it again. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Amen? Amen. Will you stand with me as we read this morning's benediction? It says this, But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. When things get discouraging, when things are difficult, when things look hopeless, we're not going to turn away, but instead we're the faithful ones. We serve a faithful God whose souls will be saved. Will you turn to God this morning as you leave? Amen? You are dismissed.